Heavenly Father, I, uh, I pray that you'd be with us as uh, I bring the message today. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and help us to, to know you more through this time together and this time of listening to your word. Uh, I pray that you would guide my, my tongue, that I would um, speak in ways that are, that are glorifying to you. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so the next two, maybe three sermons, I may extend this out to three, depending on, on how I feel like next week is going with the sermon writing, but, but we're going to be looking at the downside of David's life. We've been working our way through David, the life of King David, and um, we're going to be looking at, at sort of the big the big turning point for him, uh, the story of David and Bathsheba. Um, and, and actually, Jess was up last night late looking for coloring pages for the children, and you'd be surprised how many completely inappropriate coloring pages there are for, for children on this subject. They're either creepy or give way too much information for children, or does that make sense? And actually, as I was looking at that, I thought, oh man, this is not going to be a very easy sermon. <laughs> and it was the first moment that I kind of recognized how, how fraught with danger this one is. Um, the worst of the word search. Or was a crossword puzzle? It was a word search. It was a word search. And she, she printed it up thinking it would be great. When she was stacking them up, she looked at the words and she's like, nope. <laughs> That's right out. <laughs> so we'll have an adult version of the folder for next week. See, it's already started. Uh, I have, uh, we're going to be talking about sin and temptation today. Um, I don't know how, it was about a month ago, um, the, uh, the Andersons had a party. How many of y'all were at this Anderson party? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, you weren't there, Brooke. It was it was a party. You know, like they have those candle parties, and they have those. You know what I'm talking about? Like these, they're woman gatherings. I don't even know what else to say. They are. This this is a a a, a gathering of gals to 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 try chocolate. I mean, so that was good. And I asked several times, is this one of those woman parties? Like, am I going to? No, no, no. And Brooke said, no, no, it's fine. We're pulling into the driveway, and we passed Brooke on his way out. <laughs> and I, I stop, and I roll my window down. He's like, no, we're just going to shoot a coyote. We'll be here. Don't worry. It's not a woman party. We'll be here for it. We'll be back in a few minutes. He did not show up again. <laughs> Period. <laughs> and, and so we went to this chocolate party, and, and this week, um, I... I, I there are several of us who are doing a race in um, May, um, a Spartan. The Spartan race is like a mud obstacle course thing. And um, there are several of us who are doing this. By the way, if that's something that would interest you, let me know. We can get you set up to go with us. Um, but, but we're going to be doing this race, and I'm supposed to be losing weight, and I'm supposed to be exercising to get ready for it. And I got the flu a few weeks ago, and I'm off my game, right? And early in the week last week, I started kind of moderating my eating and trying to get back onto the treadmill and didn't get there until Friday. But... Um, <laughs> it's a long way, um, and, and get going again, and, and my wife, who I love very much, purchased a lot of chocolate, I mean, a lot from, from the Andersons, and this has showed up in the house, and, and have you guys ever had these things, these little chocolate, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody not had one of these? Oh, I don't think I have. Catch your own. <laughs> um, Sometimes Renee has parties with them, so I, I got this container, this bag, and like normally I would buy these at what stores, you get like one with your purchase, and, and there must be a hundred of these 75. things. Seventy-five. My wife knows. Um, there's not seventy-five now. Because I'll be sitting there working on something, and I'll think, you know, there's chocolate in the, in the kitchen, and I think, 
I, I probably already eat some of those. And, and so before you know it, I'm, I'm just you know, going in there. Everybody do this with you there. And you're like, I'm just going to have the one. And four candies later. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's sort of the reality of who I am. I'm, I'm, I didn't get this masculine physique by eating healthy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so, like, like I figured, you know, we're talking about temptation today, right? Obviously, eating chocolate isn't sinful per se, um, but but um, temptation, like, this is an easy guide. Everybody understands this temptation, right? I mean, like, like what it is to say, this is not what I'm going to do. And there's this part of you that's deep down inside that says, oh yes, we are. You know, and and and. Um, I, I'm going to put my chocolates there, and we're going to see if I can make it through the whole service um, without eating any. Now, some smart out might hop up and grab them, and that would be the, <laughs> we'd have a fight, and it'd be terrible. Um, <laughs> what, where we're starting today um, actually is in James. Even though we're talking about the life of David, we'll move to the New Testament to begin. Um, James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Um, James is writing about sin. And he says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Um, then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to, to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Okay? And we're going to get this idea. There's a sequence here. And I have a chart. I made this chart myself. Can you tell? No crayons involved. Um, so the sinful nature is kind of the center of it all, right? All of us have this nature in us that's, that's fallen, right? You, you give me long enough and I'm going to do the wrong thing, right? You know, and, and you tell me a rule, and one of the first things that's going to happen in my head, and it might be because I'm antisocial, I start figuring out, how do I get around that rule? Anybody else do this? Every teenager in the room, come on. <laughs> um, and, and I think, well, how am I going to beat this? Or, you know, I, I see something I shouldn't do, and the first thing I want to do, or I hear something, and the first thing I want to do is tell someone else. You know, that juicy bit of gossip. I'm the only one that does that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not even. Um, <laughs> and, or I hear something that I do, and I'm going to lie about it <laughs> to, to protect my name. So sin nature is in all of us. Um, and... And it begins with coveting. Coveting is, is one of the Ten Commandments. It's the one that we always brush over, right? Because it's easy to point at adultery and stuff like that. Oh, you know, you're worshiping a false god. Coveting is when you want something that doesn't belong to you, right? Or want something that ain't good for you. Like my chocolate over here, right? I'm, I'm standing here, and I'll be honest, I'm coveting it. There's a part of me that's thinking about, you know, hey, I, it's a temptation illustration, and so I can give into it, and it's okay. Um, you know, but I'm trying not to be that way. I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to be happy. I'm trying to be different. But this isn't in the mind of that. Everybody with me? So it starts with coveting. Coveting begins to move into obsession. Some of these things move quick, but this is like serious, like contemplated sin. Any of you guys ever done one of these? Where you think it through and you, 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 you have to talk yourself into making it okay? And, and you focus on it, and it's, it's right there. And, and sometimes it's about being mad at someone where you get that little bit of angry going, and you start throwing gas on it every time you think about it, and you get yourself numb and wound up so that you can get to a point where you can say something really inappropriate or start a really nasty fight or you know, throw a punch or whatever, and like you build up to it. Obsession is when we look, we think, I want this, and it um, conceives this sinful thing inside us. Um, generally, this is followed by planning, where we figure out, how do I get away with this? Right? Or what am I going to do to have this? Um, from there, it gives birth to sin. It's when you actually go and do it. And you fulfill the sinful nature.
nature. And after that, you have two paths that happen, right? Some of us feel bad. Anybody ever done something really wrong, and afterwards you're like, that was wrong, I should not have done that. Right? And then sometimes, if we do that enough times, we get to the point where we don't think that was wrong, I shouldn't have done that. We just think, hey, look at what I did, and it's okay. Because we become hard-hearted, and that's like spiritual death, right? Like, that's where we begin to die to God's spirit acting in our hearts, like calling us to be repentant. Um, um, and then after that, we have choices. We can justify what we did. Oh, well, I had to do this. I had to punch that guy. He had to come in. Or I had to, you know, yell at my wife because it was fun. Um, or we can ignore what we did and pretend it didn't happen. We can try to cover it up. Or we can resolve to do better next time and not change anything. Um, and so we're going to follow this cycle for the next couple sermons. Okay, these are soap opera sermons. This is the big, juicy, like, mean stuff that happens in David's life. Um, and it starts with David. This is Second uh, Samuel 11, 1 to 3. So if you're following along in your Bible, this is the passage we're going to be looking at heaviest today. And I'm going to move through it quick because there's a lot of material here. And I don't want to be here until noon-ish, no, two, or whatever, sometime. Um, then it happened in the spring, at the time when the kings go out to battle, um, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all of Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. Um, but David stayed at Jerusalem. Okay, so what's going on here is... Uh, spring comes, you would generally do your fighting in the spring, because winter it was tougher to maintain an army in the field, right? Um, and in the spring you start having like the beginnings of vegetation they can eat, and if you end up going out and doing a siege, which is what they do, right? You, you go and siege a place, you're going to be sitting there for a few months maybe, or even longer. And so you want a lot of time between inclement weather points, like to do your siege. And so they send the army out, and oftentimes if you're a long-time church person you've heard sermons on this, um, you've probably heard that David is neglecting his duty by not going with him. That's probably not the case. David had a group of inner circle soldiers. And it got to the point where these guys became like very concerned about protecting him. And it wasn't necessarily the case a king would go out and fight every time. right? David may have stayed back because his soldiers had convinced him, hey, you go out and fight, you might get killed, and we don't need that. Stay home, we'll go do it. right? And, and so like it's sometimes built up that way, not so much. The army's away, the men are away, David's at home, right? With a vacuum of men, there's a lot of women around, right? Um, which is where the story picks up. Um, now, when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So, the way the city was set up, it was on a mountaintop, right? And you would have David's house, which was the castle, and it was the tallest building. Right? And you would have a big flat roof. Um, and in the summer, when it was really hot, you might sleep on the roof. right? Or you might go up there in the evening to catch the breeze. This is probably probably would have been in the evening, because women usually bathed in the evening. It was just how their culture worked. Um, so David is up there, he's walking around, and he notices this gal out bathing. Right? Um, this reads funny. She probably wasn't on a rooftop bathing like some people will talk about because, well, it's a long way to haul water, right? Um, she was either in a public place, which was very common. Women would go to the public pool and they would bathe. And they might wear a blanket or a towel or something while they bathed in public. Or if you were particularly wealthy, which we find out this woman probably was, she goes out to the courtyard because they have like a big square house and there'd be a center area with a pool or a, or a fountain. And you would go out there and that's where you would bathe, right? 
so David is walking around. She's bathing in the privacy of her own home, but David has a taller house. And so he has the opportunity to check out what's going on, right? Um, so David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, he finds out, so he sees, hey, check her out, right? And he says, I need to find out more about her. Why do you need to find out more about her? Well, he'd seen her bathing, and he was interested. Everybody with me? Do I have to explain this to anyone? Okay. <laughs> and and he, so he sends people out, puts out his feelers. Hey, what's going on out here? Um, and he finds out, this is the wife of Uriah. Now, Uriah, we find him in other spots in the book of Samuel. Um, he was one of David's mighty men, is what it was called in the scripture. The mighty men were like the special forces. These were guys who were like the Israeli, or Israelite SEAL Team 6, right? These guys were hardcore. If you read the end of 2 Samuel, you'll read the accounts of what these guys did. Like there was one fellow who became famous and got a name for himself because he was out in the field with the other rest of the army. They caught a lion in a pit. Right, they put a pit out, they managed to catch a lion in there. And he went down in there in the middle of the snow and ice and everything, and he killed the lion by himself. And he got a reputation, right? He killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. And um, we find Uriah is one of these guys. So he's super devoted for, for David, right? One of these guys was so devoted, or two actually, there's a story in the story of Mighty Men, where um, these two guys heard David say, Oh, if only I could be in the city we're trying to capture and drink a cup of water out of the well from there. I would give anything for a cup of water from the city. And so his men went out at 2 in the morning, snuck through the enemy lines, got a glass of water, and brought it back to him. <laughs> you know, these guys are tough, right? And they're devoted. So devoted they would risk their lives to get the king a glass of water. Um, serious devotion. So how do you treat a guy who's devoted to you like that? Well... Not very well, apparently. David sent messengers and took her, and when they when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from uncleanliness, she returned to her house. So David calls her over and has an affair, right? Um, where's her husband? He's out fighting for David, right? So now David is a pretty big jerk, right? I'm guessing this wasn't a decision he pained over. Right? I'm guessing David saw what he wanted and he thought, hey, this seems like a good idea. And he, he maybe inch closer. Anybody ever done this? Like, where you inch closer and closer to that thing that you know you shouldn't do? Yeah. And before long you're standing there and you think, oh, I really want that. Anybody else do this? Is it just me? Really? It's <laughs> um, <guess> how we... <laughs> <laughs> about her just long enough to make this decision that he's, he's going to have her 
to figure out what he's got to do to get what he wants. And so he sends people out, right? This is planning. He finds out he's not supposed to be doing this because she's married to Uriah. And he invites her over anyway. And Sid is born. How is Sid born? Well, he has an affair. Um, he's fulfilled the sinful nature. And at this point in time, he can be remorseful and follow the route of repentance. Or he can hide or pretend it didn't happen or be hard-hearted and ignore it. And guess which path he takes? He decides to ignore it and he lets it go. So she goes home, and in red, to drive the point home, um, the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now David's got a problem. First off, his name is on the line. Because what he's done is hugely inappropriate, right? First off, because one of the men who's really loyal to him, he, he's cheated with his, his wife, right? And secondly, because under the Torah, there's a specific punishment for affairs. And that's death. So David has committed a death penalty offense at this point. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I like being alive. And I'm thinking David probably follows this out too. If he's going to follow the Torah properly, he's in trouble. Um, so he comes up with a plan. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the warfare of Joab and the people and the state of the war. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out to him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go home. So what's David's plan? <laughs> when I cover up, he's been away from home, he's been out in the field fighting, he's going to go spend time with his wife, and... You know, nature's going to take its course, and then I'm out, right? But Uriah doesn't do that. Now, there's a lot of reasons why he might have not have done it. He explains it a little more later, but I'm going to give you the, the heads up. Um, because Israel was like a theocracy, they were centered on God as a religious group, right, as a government, um, Uriah would have had to have gone through special cleansing to make himself ritually pure before God before going out and fighting. So all of his brothers in the field who are fighting are ritually pure, and they've had to go through religious ceremonies to get that way. If Uriah goes home, according to the Torah, he becomes not clean anymore, right? And he'd have to do the purification all over again. Well, he says, I'm going to be devoted to God. I can't do that. I'm going to be devoted to my fellow soldiers and to my country properly. I can't do that. And so as much as I'd love to go home and do something that would be legal and right, Right? Like he's married to her, he can do whatever he wants. Um, even though that's what he would like to do, he says, what's right and best before God is this. And we're staying far away from my job, right? He says, as much as I could do this, what's best for God is for me to back up and sleep on the floor outside of your house. And David actually went so far, he sent chocolate and wine, or it's a gift, right? So who knows what he sent. But he sent something to get him, get him in the mood. So David is acting in the exact opposite. It's like we got two guys on either side of a mirror, right? We got Uriah who's godly and good, and you got David who's like, "All right, go go cover my sin up for me, buddy." <laughs> um, so we move on. Now, when they told David, uh, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, 
Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and the life of my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. And so David finds out that he won't play along covering up, covering up his sin. And so David goes a different route, right? Being an ingenious fellow, he became king for a reason. Then David said to Uriah, Stay here today also and tomorrow, and I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servant, but he did not go home. So David says, well, maybe I can push him closer to what he wants, right? Like, maybe I can, can nudge him into violating his own moral standing to cover up my sin. David's kind of a turkey, right? Like, he's playing, he's, he's wrong at this point. And he says, this guy says, well, this is where, I am, where I'm at morally. And he says, go, sin, please, do it. Um, and he gets him drunk. And it doesn't work. And so now David's got a real problem, because how is he going to cover up his sin? Well, does whatever king could do at that time. Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. Okay? Now as we read on, we're not going to go through the whole chapter because it's a lot of, lot of material. As we read on, we find out that not only does um, Uriah die, but a whole mess of soldiers die, right? Like he set this up so that a whole bunch of his own guys get killed to cover up his philandering, right? Um, and he made him deliver the letter himself. How messed up is that? How cold is that? Uh, we're going to come back to our diagram, right? He covets. At this point, what's he coveting? It's not Uriah's wife. He's coveting a clean name. Right? And most of us do this one time or another. We covet a clean name. We say, I want this good reputation, but it's not mine to have. And we begin to try and figure out how to do it. And we come up with a plan that becomes a sin that we commit, whether it be lying, right? Or whether it be um, intimidating other people so they don't ask questions you don't want them to ask. Or whether it be um, hiding the evidence. Or whether it be avoiding someone you've wronged so you don't have to say sorry. Anybody else do that? <laughs> Is it just me? Um, and it fulfills a sinful nature and it results in either remorse, but David's not feeling remorseful, or death. So he's dying spiritually before God. So bit by bit, David gets more and more hardened when he's done. I don't think this was easy for him, right? But I do think it's the decision he made. He took the easy way out. And he comes up with a plan to cover it up. Kills this man. And then, basically, um, and when after the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord, right? And the chapter ends there. This part of the story comes to an end. So up until this point, God is like, like excited with David. And the whole story is the story of things going great for David and getting better and better and better and better. And this is the hinge for the book, right? God wasn't pleased with what David had done. So David takes this woman home, treats her like his wife, and then Nathan shows up. We're not going to go through the text. I'm going to explain this. 
Nathan is a prophet. He shows up, talks to the king, says, hey, there's a guy in your kingdom. I need a judgment about this. He has a thousand sheep, like huge herds of sheep, right? And he had a guest come, and he needed a sheep to serve for dinner. So he looks around at all his sheep, and then he checks out the neighbor's house. And the neighbor's got one sheep, only one, and it's a pet, right? He would, like, they slept, they ate at the table with him and slept in the bed with him. I'm, you know, this isn't that weird. I've, I've got a dog that sleeps in the bed with us, right? So this is, this is a pet. And there's actually a law, according to the Torah, it's not legal to eat pets. Funny thing. Um, so he says, look, this guy with a thousand sheep takes the neighbor's pet and serves it at dinner. What should happen? And David gets ticked off. He jumps up and says, let's go kill this guy. He's got it coming. Now the Torah says, if you steal from a neighbor, you pay back three times the amount. And David takes it the next step and says, no, we're going to go ahead and kill him. Right? The most severe punishment possible. And Nathan, showing the biggest, like, what bit of courage you're going to find in the scriptures. Because in the ancient world, if you made a king mad, he waved his hand and you had your head cut off. Right? Like, David had absolute power. Um, Nathan says, this is you. You've got wives, you've got concubines, you've got whatever you want, and you kill your neighbor to get his life. Because you didn't want what you had, you wanted what he had. Now David's got a set of options at this point, right? David can have Nathan killed. Or he can do what he does. He drops down to his knees and says, Oh my gosh, you're right, I did this thing. I sinned. I rebelled against God. I've committed murder. I've committed adultery. I am wrong. I repent of this. And what God has made to tell him is, listen, God forgives you. So David, who deserves death at this point, right, receives forgiveness because he repents. Repentance, I'm going to give you the real short version of this, okay? Repentance is when you're heading in one direction, and you stop and you go in the other direction. Everybody with me? That's what the word literally means in Hebrew. David stops what he's doing, turns around, and goes back the way he came. He's ashamed of himself. His heart is broken. He loudly says this was wrong. And he turns around and goes the other way. And he's forgiven. Now there's, I like to point this out. And so, Mark, cover your ears. We had a conversation about this earlier in the week. Um, there's this moment where we see a reflection of, of Jesus coming. Right? Because God forgives him. But he says, listen, death isn't going to leave your house ever. And so this baby that Bathsheba has, on the eighth day he's supposed to be circumcised, and at that point he's given a name, and on the seventh day he dies. Right? So David should be punished. Who gets punished instead? The son. Which is harsh, isn't it? But this is what we get. I do bad things. Right? I'm going to jump over the I bad. I know you all sin. Because we all sin. We don't get punished when, when we're repentant before God. Instead, God's own son got punished. This is the story of Jesus, right? Horrible sin, horrible rebellion against God, and God puts it on his son. And so I'm forgiven, and I avoid my punishment because my punishment goes out this, elsewhere. This is the basic story of the gospel. Um, what we see here, right? Um, this is my breaking the cycle of sin. When he hits this point where remorse gets, instead of just letting it ride and going back to his sin, 
right? Because some folks will do that, where they'll say, I am so sorry about this. And then they're doing the same thing five minutes later. Anyway, like maybe I worked with alcoholics for a long time, and drug addicts, this is a common one for them. I should not have done that, it was so terrible. And then, like, they forget about it real quick, and they go back to what they were doing, right? This is a break point, where he goes off in a different direction. He confesses, he repents, and he's made new, right? Um, he receives forgiveness. This is how we break the cycle. You cannot break a cycle of sin in your life by your own work, right? You cannot try hard enough to not be sinful. It doesn't work. The only way we overcome sin, only way, is because the Holy Spirit steps in and picks us up out of it, right? And, and for David, he became hard-hearted. For us, oftentimes when we catch up with the fact that we're sinning, God sort of punches us or pokes us. Anybody get that occasionally? Anybody getting that today? Um, you know what your sin is. You know what you're doing. Repent and confess. Now, I'm a firm believer in confession. Why? Not because I'm Catholic, because I'm not. Okay? So that's aside. Confession is a point of accountability. It's really easy to say, I've committed this sin, and I'm really sorry in my own head, and then allow my brain to play tricks on me and me to go back to coveting, and me to fall into this pattern of sin. It's quite a different thing to sit down with someone who can keep you accountable, or who can walk through your spiritual growth and say, this is my sin, this is what I'm doing, this is what I did, and to put it out there. Um, this is actually something that Paul commands us to do, to confess our sins to one another. Um, there are a lot of these sorts of sins... Oh, last one. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of these sorts of sins that we encounter in our world. Um, statistically, I was reading statistics on, on things like um, internet adult material usage, right? Like, 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 and the percentage of men who've encountered like pornography on the internet by the time they're 25... Of course, after the internet began to exist, it's like 80%, right? Um, the, uh, um, the the Southern Baptist Church had a big pastor convention, right, where they had all these pastors come into, like, Tennessee or something, and they stayed at this giant convention center in a hotel where they left. Um, somebody had the clever idea of sitting down and looking at the adult channel usage, and it was like 60% of the rooms. Um, why? Well, because this is a sin that we covet. We think, this is what I want. We think about it. We feed it. And it takes over, right? Uh, and it becomes this thing that you can't confess out loud because nobody wants to say they do that stuff, right? And it becomes a hide it, hide it, hide it. Well, when you're hiding it, hiding it, hiding it, is the Holy Spirit going to honor it? Of course not. This goes beyond this. This goes to hating folks. How many of you guys have a grudge with somebody you haven't seen in more than a year? If we have anger and we keep it buried and we throw gas on it whenever it comes up, it gets more angry. And it cycles, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And it changes who we are, because the Holy Spirit backs up and says, do what you need to do. Actually, if you read Romans 1, it's one of those passages in the scripture that's used as like a bat sometimes. If you read what it's really saying, it's saying, um, if you allow sin to dominate you, God will back up and let you do it, but it's going to get worse. Because you're going to just go into the next sin, and go into the next sin the next sin, hating people, um, lusting after folks that hate your spouse, um, um, taking things that don't belong to you, um, ignoring God in favor of what you desire. Um, this list, I mean, I could, I could wrap it all up, and I do this stuff. Like, I'm, I'm not a godly man. Well, I, I'm a godly man because the Holy Spirit is in me and because Christ has forgiven me, right? But not because I'm super skilled at being good. 
right? If it comes down to me being good, it comes down to you being good on your own strength, it can't be done. The Holy Spirit gives us strength and walks us through that. Um, next week, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at David's kids. Um, and, and they don't break out of this cycle. And we're going to look at how this extends beyond and destroys people, right? It's, it's, it's um, really soap-opery stuff, actually. Um, but my challenge for you this week is, because you're hearing this, if the Spirit's moving in you, right, pick it out and deal with it. Um, deal with it like, in front of God. Um, if there's sin that dominates you and you get stuck in the cycle of, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want, I'm going to indulge in this, now I'm going to feel sorry, I'm going to pretend it didn't happen, and it starts all over again. And that, that sin, that's what it does, right? It kills us spiritually. If this is going on with you, repent. Turn to Christ and say, hey, I'm sorry of this. Find somebody who can help you break this cycle in your life. Find ways to like break out a sin in, in, in your heart. Um, and it all comes from Christ dying for us, Holy Spirit changing us. Everybody with me? Um, examine your heart. The day you stop finding sin, either it means you're perfect or you stop looking. Want to guess who gets that normal thing, which way it normally goes? Um, it's just a reality of who we are. And I'm not saying you're all horrible and bad and God hates you. God loves you. God loves you to the degree that he would give anything to be close to you again. Even his own son. Uh, we're going to close in prayer. We have one more song. And then we're eating soup. Please don't trip over my candy. Don't ruin it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. I pray that you would touch us in a way that, that would help us to be aware of our sin and our wickedness and our, our um, rebellion against you and, and not to ponder on it in shame, but to repent and be made new in you. Lord God, I pray that you would put your spirit in our hearts. Help us to be new creations in Christ in ways that that we were meant to be, ways that we were designed to be. Um, help us to be free of shame and, and anger and guilt and, and remorse and depression and all this stuff that's not part of the <coughs> present.